Welcome to the Well-Seasoned Librarian Podcast. My name is Dean Jones, the Well-Seasoned Librarian. This is Season 2, Episode 8. I'm very happy to have a special guest today, Helen Rennie, who is a famous YouTube blogger, and she is the founder and instructor of Helen's Kitchen Cooking School. Now, I've spent many hours watching Helen's YouTube videos. They're wonderful, and she really breaks down a lot of techniques for people who, like me, are wannabe chefs and want to learn how to do a lot of cooking instruction, but don't have the ability to take cooking classes, as like she does in her cooking school. While most people sneak into the kitchen to get a snack, Helen spent her life sneaking into the kitchen to cook. At age 10, she thought making bean soup was more exciting than practicing the piano. At 18, she was feeding her fellow college students in exchange for help with her programming assignments. After finishing her degree in computer science, she went to Provence, France to study art history and ended up studying the art of cooking and eating. Traveling through the Mediterranean made her fall in love with the sun-drenched cuisine of the coast. Upon returning to the States, she spent most of her free time exploring the fish and farmers markets of Boston and cooking every kind of fish and vegetable she could get her hands on. Bored with her job at a dysfunctional.com and not having enough money for culinary school, Helen got an internship in Casablanca Restaurant and spent her nights and weekends learning the ropes of professional cooking. What started out as a hobby turned into a teaching position at the Cambridge Center for Adult Education. In 2005, Helen decided to open her own kitchen to anyone who wants to learn about food. That's how Helen's Kitchen was born. Since then, Helen has taught 1,000 plus students helping many home cooks put delicious, nutritionally dense meals on their tables. Helen's cooking philosophy centers on finding creative ways to repair local ingredients. She teaches cooking classes in her house in Natick with a strong focus on culinary techniques and food science. Her classes are small to give all students a chance for hands-on practice. Helen is a lifelong student, spending a lot of her free time interning on the best Boston restaurants and traveling around the world to study different cuisines. Her culinary adventures include France, Italy, Spain, Peru, and Japan. Now, as you can tell from all that, it was an exciting and wonderful conversation. I know you're going to love it, so let's get to the conversation. And on we go. Welcome to the Well Seasoned Librarian Podcast. Today, my guest is Helen Rennie, who owns Helen's Kitchen Cooking School and YouTube video program on YouTube. Helen, thank you for being on the show today. My pleasure, Dean. So uh, you're in Natick, Massachusetts. How is it back there? Is it hot? No, not too bad today. <laughs> We're about uh, 30 minutes from Boston. Oh, nice. So, yeah. Um, so tell us about yourself for those who aren't familiar with you. I think a lot of people will be, but um, for those who are not familiar with you, tell us about yourself and your cooking background. Sure, so I'm a culinary instructor. I teach home cooks how to cook in my house. That's why it's called Helen's Kitchen. And I also make videos, cooking videos on YouTube. Um, and I'm very excited because I'm restarting to teach in person in September. It's been a long time because of COVID. So, but I've been very lucky since I had the YouTube channel, I still had something to do because for lots of people in the food industry, this has been a very trying time. Yes. Um, yeah, so that's the story. That's what I do. Okay, um, so you, know, you brought up something I always wonder from people that have YouTube videos who have their kitchen. So that's your kitchen in the background you mentioned. 
at your home. That's a lovely kitchen. For anybody who hasn't seen the show, it's very beautiful. Oh, thank you. <laughs> so, uh, yes, so it is filmed in my kitchen uh, by me. So I'm the only person doing this. People really? leave wow. me comments saying, can you tell your editor to do this? Can you tell your camera person? I'm like, I am it. <laughs> I am the camera person and the editor and the writer and the cook. So, um, yeah, we are very lucky nowadays we have amazing technology, something like 20 years ago, none of this would be possible. Uh, cameras were complicated and expensive and video editing software was also complicated and expensive and nowadays it's very accessible. So. Well, your show is very professional and really wonderfully done. I mean, I would put it next to anything on the Food Network or any of the major networks. It's it's really oh, nice. Oh, whoa, whoa. <laughs> okay. Now I'm blushing here. But uh, yeah, that's actually, I learned how to do all this stuff on YouTube. Oh, uh, nice. <laughs> yes. I mean, I have kids and whenever they say something interesting to me, uh, some interesting fact, and I say, how did you learn that? And they go, oh, come on, mom, YouTube, TikTok. So that's how we learn everything nowadays. That, my kids say that to me sometimes too. And I'm always like, oh yeah, that's right. I should know that I'm a librarian. Okay. <laughs> <laughs> so you run a cooking school in Boston, Helen's Kitchen Cooking School. Um, can you tell us how long it's been in operation and how you came to open it? Yeah, so it's been in operation about 16 years. Uh, this is my second profession. Uh, I am completely self-taught when it comes to, well, I shouldn't say completely self-taught because nobody is self-taught, right? We learn from other people, but I never went to culinary school. Um, I, my degrees in computer science, I used to work in the software industry. I was a usability engineer and I really did not like working in the office. I did not, I, and I loved being a usability engineer, but I did not like software companies. And um, I love to cook and my, everybody was asking me for recipes all the time. And so my husband said, you know, you should teach a cooking class. And I thought, I can't do that. I don't have any qualifications. And we were taking wine tasting classes at the Cambridge Center for Adult Education. And he said, well, how about at this place? You know, this is like normal people teaching other normal people how to do stuff. And I wrote a proposal, they accepted it. And so I started teaching. And I absolutely fell in love with it. I love food, I love teaching. So this was combining those two things. I never thought this would be a career. I didn't even know that that was a possible job for me. And um, when I started teaching, it was a hobby. I did not think that I will make a career out of it. I didn't think that was possible. And then I found this website of this guy in Seattle. Now you're in Seattle, right? Yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah. So. The, the, I don't think that cooking school exists anymore. This was very long ago. Uh, so I started mine about um, 16 years ago. So this was even longer ago than that. And this guy who was a professional chef, but he decided to quit the restaurant world and teach classes out of his house. Oh, and nice. Thought, How cool is that? And so I tried to find out what would it take in my area? Like, are there some requirements? Because to have any catering company or restaurant, you have to have a commercial kitchen. But it turned out that to teach cooking classes, you don't. So I found out that yes, anybody can do this. There's some complications. <laughs> I mean, you have to find out 
from your town, how parking is going to work, how sorts of things are going to work, but it's still much right. more accessible than opening any other food business. And, um, and to me, it was also much more fun because I never wanted to be making a food product. What I wanted right. to do is uh, have an educational service. And I did it. I started teaching cooking classes in my house. It, well, back then it wasn't this house. It was a little condo <laughs> um, in Boston. Back then we were close to the city. And um, I did it on weekends while still having my software job. Oh, and between those two things, between when I started teaching cooking classes for adult ed places and when I started doing it as a business in my house, I did get a bunch of restaurant internships. So basically after my software job, I would go to a restaurant and work there as a prep cook at night. So oh, a couple nice. of days a week. And uh, I learned a lot uh, through that experience. I got good knife skills, all sorts of things that home cooks generally don't have that I really wanted to learn to really cook. And so um, I learned that there and the rest of it I learned by reading. So um, I love food science. And um, I find that I'm constantly trying to improve techniques and procedures. Um, my specialty is teaching people cooking techniques and understanding how things work so that they can cook smarter. Basically, if you take some minus rot and cantaloupes out and mix them up, and that would end up being me. <laughs> well, yeah, because I, I use your, I've used your videos a lot because it's nice to read things in a book and many books are very descriptive nowadays. But actually seeing it done, I find is really helpful for myself. And I think a lot of people like that as well. So when you were doing your video on knife skills, seeing, I, if you saw that at a book, you'd be like maybe confused, I think. But like when I saw you actually cutting, I'm like, oh, okay. I was like, now I get it. And so it's very helpful. And also like when you talk about a lot of the techniques, you really break it down in a very clear way. So there's no like, I feel like you really are very natural at teaching and like you really are able to communicate what you want. And it's so helpful for those of us who are learning still and want to learn some of these things. And also your recipes are wonderful as well. And it's always good that you provide, like you've done something, now you let's show it to do with it. Like when you did caramelized onions, you said, okay, here's what to do with caramelized onions. And you showed examples. And I thought I really appreciated that. Oh, thank you. Um, well, I find that to teach well, it really helps to um, being able to have two mindsets. I find very often when people master something, they do so many things without thinking. They do them completely intuitively that when they are trying to communicate to somebody who's a novice what they're actually doing, they skip more than half of the information or steps that they are actually doing. They just take it for granted. Um, and so I try to bridge that divide because um, since I didn't go to culinary school, I, and I didn't work in restaurants for very long, I only worked there twice a week for one year. Um, I, although I can do a whole bunch of things, I still know what that mindset it is of somebody who is a home cook. Right. Um, so to me, that was very revolutionary when like Semin Nasrat wrote a book about salt, fat, acid, heat. Um, the two things that are very close uh, to my heart there are salt and acidity. 
because I tried to teach a class on that when I was a new teacher. And after working in restaurants, I thought this is crucial. I mean, yes. you've got to get salt and acidity. And nobody would sign up. I, I had a class called Deconstructing Deliciousness, How Salt and Acidity Work. And um, it's so refreshing that nowadays there are cooks who are succeeding at that, like Semin, uh, uh, not just cooks, but communicators who manage to take that stuff that makes or breaks any dish that all professional cooks and all good home cooks just do. They don't think about it, they just do it. And to actually get people to be mindful about it, get them to understand how it works, why it works, why you should pay attention to it and how to develop your palate. Well, as well, you're, you introduce us to some wonderful recipes. I've really enjoyed your Ukrainian recipes recently. and. You know, I've always wanted to try, um, you got me to try to make borscht, hot borscht. I haven't done the cold yet and I want to soon, mm -hmm. but I've read recipes for borscht and I just thought, I don't know about this. It sounds not understandable, but you providing the visuals for it and showing the process really helped me get past the fear of it and to make it for my family who actually ate it. And they're picky people. They don't always eat vegetables. So for getting them to eat borscht is a big deal for me. So I, I was very happy that you did the video because you did it right. You like really broke it down in a way that made it understandable. Oh, I'm so glad. <laughs> yeah, my kids really like borscht too. It's an easy to like dish, even though it has ingredients that some people find, uh, you know, like beets and cabbage. People are like, oh, I don't like beets, I don't like cabbage. But, you know, if you cook them right, uh, it can actually be quite delightful. I think they're often misunderstood. Most, I feel a lot of people never eat cabbage unless it's like in coleslaw or something. And it's when it's done well, it's really wonderful. Beets as well. I, I think beets are kind of making a comeback. When mm -hmm. I was a kid, you never saw them unless they were from a can. And now people are actually roasting. Oh, now, them. yeah, beets and kale, they're everywhere, right? With the whole farm to table movement. Oh yeah. Um, yeah, I really love your videos and I'm, I'm really appreciating, like, like I said, the Ukrainian ones as well, because I'm very interested in that. The region, uh, the Ukraine region cooking is wonderful. I, and I really, mm -hmm want to learn more about that. What advice do you have to give to somebody who is just starting out with a YouTube video or a, or a vlog? So uh, it's interesting. I recently got such an interesting comment from somebody who watches my videos and who has a blog. And I think her comment really shone some light on it for me, like what we all struggle with when we're getting started. And what we all struggle with is getting an audience, right? Yeah. <laughs> and so she saw my Sirniki video. Uh, Sirniki are little um, cheesecakes that Russian people and Ukrainian people, pretty much anywhere in Eastern Europe, it's a popular dish. Yes, they I saw that video, yeah. Like, um, between a pancake and a cheesecake. They're not as sweet as a cheesecake. They're meant to be a breakfast dish. And so um, I walk people through this recipe and I say, by the way, I've really struggled with getting my own, like farm, buying farmer's cheese in the US, but it's very easy to make. You know, you just throw together milk and buttermilk or kefir in an instant pot and, you know, you go through a little process. And she sent me this lovely email saying, oh, I saw your video. I'm so excited that you're doing some Eastern European stuff on your channel now. But don't you think it's going to be really off-putting for people to see that 
you are making your own pharmacies, like you want to make this accessible for Americans, like you want to, you know, tell them to use ricotta. You know. And it's interesting because I went on her blog to see what she's doing. And she's a wonderful Russian cook. She does all sorts of great stuff. But they all sound a little bit like an infomercial. It's like trying to convince somebody uh, about that, oh, there's this other cuisine out there. And try it. You'll like it. And it's very easy. And it's very healthy. And it's very accessible. And I feel that you can't get an audience this way. I was doing that in my early days. I was doing the same thing. I was right. making content for this theoretical audience who I viewed as this faceless mass of people who are American home cooks. Right. And the thing is, that is just not how you get an audience. How you get an audience is you want to find this niche audience, especially nowadays. There's an audience for everything. There are people who are obsessed with serious barbecue. There are people who are obsessed right, yes. with making their own sourdough bread or croissants. You do not need to dumb it down. You do not need to generalize. What you need to do is make, where I suddenly started really succeeding is when I started making content for me. Like I was making, right. what would I, if I was making that dish and I didn't know too much about it, what kind of stuff would I want somebody to tell me? And so once I started making content for me, and I'm a very geeky person who wants a ton of details, who wants a ton of like technique and information about how do I make it really good? Because um, you're not going to convert anybody into liking some dish from some cuisine they don't know when you're giving them this dumbed down version like, you know, they, they don't care. They don't want to make it, you know. And I, you mentioned that I do some Russian-Ukrainian stuff. I only started doing that recently. Right. Because that's a very hard sell. And I don't even cook that stuff on a regular basis. I'm primarily a Mediterranean cook, even right. though I was born in Moscow. Um, because that's just the way I cook. I cook farm-to-table American stuff because I live right. in Boston and I have all these ingredients that are available to me here that weren't available right. in Russia. And I also just love the techniques of Mediterranean cuisines. Uh, so the only reason that I do that stuff now, that I can get away with it, is because people are saying, oh, I want to do this just because Helen did it. Yeah. Like in the early days, I'd have no traction if I posted borscht. People are like, what's this, you know? So, and the reason that I build up this audience is because I felt like I want to learn real knife skills and it's hard. Like to right. learn knife skills, you really need to go work in a restaurant. Yeah. Like even knife skills classes I've tried to take, they were not great. And so I'm like, I'm going to learn this stuff. And then I am going to make this content for me. Like, this is what I needed a year ago. Right. This is what I've learned. And that's how you can establish that audience. And then once you have an audience, you can start doing all sorts of things. They will start listening just because, you know, they trust you. They've tried your other stuff. I, I feel like today, too, that more people are willing to learn the mechanics of something. Like, like you mentioned the farmer cheese thing i think that like people like me like i've made farmer cheese and it wasn't that hard and i think just getting over that hump of doing that mm -hmm. 
kind of makes it more familiar for you. You're like, well, this isn't so difficult. This isn't so foreign to me. Well, it's extremely easy. And also yeah. it has all the things that you can walk into any American supermarket, yes. buy those two ingredients, right? It's That's it, two ingredients, milk and kefir, which is now so popular, it's everywhere. Yeah, I've and, seen it everywhere. You know, it used to be that there was this difficulty of controlling the temperature because it's a fermented product, any right. fermented product, it's hard to give a recipe for because, well, if your room is 80 degrees and my room is 60 degrees, timing is going to be so all over the place. But now that we have those fabulous tools like Instant Pot, you know, right. half the world has one. And right. it controls the temperature perfectly. When I say like, oh, I did it for this many minutes on the setting, it means that if you do it for that many minutes on that setting, we're going to get something very similar. And um, so that's been great. It, again, it used to be like 20 years ago, this would be a hopeless recipe to post because nobody had kefir, nobody had instant pots. But now that we have those, why not? <laughs> True. And it's just, I think that people are more willing, like you mentioned sourdough, People are starting to take the time, I think, from all the quarantine. They're like, well, I have time to learn how to pickle. I have time to learn to make sourdough. People are like making the time. And I think the mechanics of cooking are becoming more important. I think your video is very important too, because people are looking for instruction now. They want to, they don't want to just buy something at the store. They want to make it themselves. And it's so your video program is so important because it really is accessible for people that may not have that, you know. Mm -hmm because cooking classes, I've not seen as many as I used to around where I live. And it's becoming something that's more scarce, I think. Well, with the pandemic, yeah, we couldn't really have in-person cooking classes no. for a long time. No. Another day is here and you're ready for it. What to wear? Check. Breakfast, lunch, and dinner? Check. Planning for what's next and how to save for it? That's where Bank of America can help. For your financial to-dos, Bank of America has experts ready to help get you closer to your goals. Get started at one of our local financial centers or 24-7 in our mobile banking app. Find a location near you at bankofamerica.com slash talk to us. What would you like the power to do? Mobile banking requires downloading the app and is only available for select devices. Message and data rates may apply. Bank of America and a member FDIC. Um... You've traveled around the world as a chef. Can you tell us about some of your travels and memorable experiences around the world? Uh, well, so my first memorable experience completely changed my cooking life. And I think this is what planted that seed in my head that I want to cook for a living. When I was in college, um, I was studying computer science, but I saved up all of my humanities and I decided I'm going to go abroad and do a semester abroad and take all of the humanities there. And I uh, found this program in the south of France, in Aix-en-Provence. Ah, nice. And um, I did not, when I found this program, I found that the first semester that I was taking French in college. So I did not speak any French. I, I took the first semester of French and I learned about this program and I'm like, oh, I want to do this. <laughs> so um, I, I did it. I, my last year of college, I went to X and I took classes on art history and art and French and literature. It was really fun. So um, you can't go to France and not notice how amazing the food is. Yeah. Uh, and I just wanted to learn 
to do all this stuff. And I asked my art history teacher, I said, she was American and I asked her, if when I come back to the States, how do I get a book? This is before internet. Well, there was some internet, but not like the way we have it now. People right. had email, we didn't have much websites, anything. How do I do this stuff in the States? Like what are the books that can teach me how to really do it? And she said, uh, oh, Julia Child. And I'm like, Julia Child? Because I came to the States when I was in um, eighth grade and I didn't have much time to watch TV, but I watched a little bit of American TV. And there was this woman with a squeaky voice who would drop the chicken on the floor all the time. Yeah. And I'm like, oh, that's interesting. Who let her on TV? She like <laughs> drops the chickens. And so um, I said, like, the Julia Child who drops the chickens. She's like, yeah, yeah, that's the one. And I got back to the States. I got Julia Child's book and I just like, cooked through most of it. And I was amazed at how amazing that book is. Even the way she wrote recipes was different. She wrote it by components. You had these two columns, your ingredients here, what to do with them on the right and master recipe, and then all the different variations. And so that like really uh, taught me to cook. Before that I cooked, I always loved to cook as a kid, but I cooked just intuitively the things that my mom would cook or ingredients that were around. I didn't know how to teach myself new techniques and new dishes and Julia Child taught me that. So that was the first memorable trip. Then when I graduated from college uh, and I got married, my husband and I went to Europe to several places that were very interesting from the food perspective. We went to Italy several times and ah. Spain. So Spain is a very big deal country for me. I went many times, uh, primarily to the Basque country and Catalonia. Oh yeah. So Barcelona and San Sebastian. And um, I feel that with the Mediterranean countries, once you understand the basic principles of how they cook, like going from Italian food to Spanish food, is just somewhat different ingredients. Right. And some slightly different techniques, but you know, it's very easy to pick up another Mediterranean cuisine. And so uh, that was really fun. My one, two exotic, for me, they were exotic trips, was one to Japan. Ah. And, um, and again, I got to do all this because of my saintly husband. We had very little kids back then, and I, we couldn't all go together. Jet lag with Japan is very difficult. Like Europe, oh, yeah. we do go with kids nowadays. But he said, you know, why don't you just go? When you come back, you'll have to make us a lot of awesome sushi. <laughs> so I had a friend who was living at in Tokyo at the time. And she said that I can stay with her. So I went and I took classes with Elizabeth Endo. I don't uh, know if you know who she is. Do you yeah. know who she is? Elizabeth yes. Endo, yeah, she's really amazing. Actually, the person who introduced us was Matthew Amster Burton. He's from Seattle. He's a food writer from Seattle. If you have kids, he wrote several books that are about feeding his daughter called, one is called, I think, Hungry Monkey, maybe? And the other one was about his trip to Japan with his young daughter, where they went and they stayed for a month in Tokyo and they traveled all over. So yeah, Matthew is a really good food writer. So Matthew introduced um, me to Elizabeth and he, I said, Matthew, I, like, I can't get Elizabeth's email address. How do I get in touch? And he put us in touch and I went to Tokyo. I took classes with Elizabeth. Oh, wow. And I learned a lot about Japanese cuisine that has really changed how I cook. I don't cook purely Japanese things, but I very often use Japanese ingredients or sauces or components in my normal 
everyday cooking. And another fun trip that I had that was a little more exotic for me as a cuisine I don't know too much about was to Peru. Peru is a really amazing food place. I, I think it's on one hand, it was very exotic for me because it's the part of the world I've never been to. I've never been anywhere to uh, South America except for Peru. But cuisine wise, it was in some sense very familiar because it had Spanish influences and Japanese influences. And so because I was familiar with those two cuisines, uh, Peru felt like those two things coming together. Like if Spanish cooking met Japanese cooking, <laughs> that's, and of course they have some amazing ingredients, indigenous ingredients that you don't see anywhere else in the world. Yeah, I love Peruvian cooking. We have some restaurants here and I really enjoy them. And they're starting to kind of crop up more and more. I think, you know, 10 years ago there was nothing, but like mm -hmm. it just in the last five years, I've seen a couple you mm -hmm. know, and, and I think people are starting to become familiar with Peruvian food where they weren't before. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Um, if you were to go back in time and give yourself advice on uh, creating a YouTube channel and teaching online, what would you, what would you do differently? What would you tell your younger, like that self, like back in that time period? Oh, well, so I think I would tell myself to not be afraid to spend money on equipment. I think yeah. I'm just the kind of person, I don't think this applies to everybody. This is really just me, but I'm the kind of person who wants to do everything with like duct tape and you know, finding some way to do it with what I already have. And um, once I allowed myself to really invest in a better camera and better sound equipment it, and better editing equipment, things really turned around. I think I was just scared in the beginning that I don't know if it's gonna be a thing for me. Because when I started making videos, it was just, oh, let's try this. You know, like I didn't know right. that this was gonna turn into half of my business is gonna be on YouTube. Right. Um, and so, uh, yeah, it, Unfortunately, with cooking and with video making, sometimes good equipment makes a very big difference. <laughs> oh, absolutely. I think that's true of a lot of different things, even like podcasting. I mean, you're afraid to kind of overspend because you're, mm -hmm. you, you don't want to like seem like you're being frivolous, but then right. you also want to be serious. You know, it's like anything else. If you're going to do just about anything, you're going to need good tools. Good tools make all the difference. Yeah, yeah. And another advice that somebody gave me um, when I did, I went to this YouTube camp about six years ago, five, six years ago, uh, there's this contest that YouTube holds every year called Next Stop. So you have to have a medium sized channel between 10,000 and 100,000 viewers, at least that's how it was when I applied. And then you can submit your videos and write an essay and see if they will select you as 20 up and coming channels and it's regional. So there is a North American one, there is one for Europe, one for Southeast Asia, et cetera. And so I, um, try, I entered that contest and uh, I won. I was one of the 20 that they chose that year and they uh, pay for you to go to New York and study with them for a week at the at the YouTube studio, they give you classes on lighting, on audio, etc. And they give you some money, they give you like $2,000 to upgrade your equipment. So this was a big turning around point for me, where 
for the first time, I felt like not only will I get this equipment, but I'll know what to do with it. Because I was always afraid with upgrading my equipment that even if I get this nice equipment, I won't know how to put it to good use. Like my right. lighting will still suck because I will put the light in the wrong place. And, right. you know. So, and I met some amazing people. There other channels. Uh, none of them had any, well, most of them had nothing to do with food. Uh, there were people making videos about all sorts of things. But one of the guys there told me this thing, and he was a really um, really very creative person. He said, you know what makes the most difference is the story. Because I was so worried that like my lighting is not good enough. My white balance is off. I was getting so caught up in all the technicalities of it that he said like, just, you know, keep in mind that the main reason that people are listening to podcasts or watching your videos uh, or attending your classes is because of the story that you're telling. So okay. don't worry too, too much about it being a little rough, a little not perfect, you know, a little unprofessional looking, uh, that it's really the story that makes the most difference. It's so surprising too, because <clears throat> as I said before, I mean, your, your work is so polished and so good. Oh, well, you, know, but... you have not seen. <laughs> Go look at some video from 10 years ago. Okay, okay, okay. <laughs> then you'll okay. see what, <laughs> what okay, it was enough. like when I was getting started. Yes. Fair enough. Now, um, you mentioned Julia Child and a few other chefs. What chefs do you admire and what can you tell us of some of the famous chefs you've met other than the ones you mentioned? <clears throat> so, um, oh gosh, there. I'm not a huge cookbook collector. You know, I know people with huge libraries of cookbooks. Me. I'm not like that. I'm very <laughs> experimental. Like I need to eat something in a restaurant and then I make it. But there are a few chefs whose work has completely changed my life. So the first one is um, Judy Rogers from the Zuni Cafe in San Francisco. And yes. unfortunately, she passed away really young from cancer. And I was really lucky I got the chance to meet her, uh, which was a lucky accident that she wrote a book called Zuni Cafe Cookbook, which is a really revolutionary book because it's, people don't realize this, but almost always when you're buying a cookbook written by a chef, it is not written by that chef. It is right. written by a shadow writer. You know, the chefs are very busy people. They run restaurants. They're not gonna sit and write books. Somebody comes in, they interview them, get a few stories, they watch them cook and they write those recipes. They test the recipes, the chef puts their name on it. What's so special about the Zuni Cafe cookbook is that Judy Rogers actually wrote it cover to cover. Every word is hers. All the recipes are tested by her. And um, although when you read that book, you're not going to get the Elton Brown, you know, proteins, enzymes, but her approach at its heart is very scientific. It's very empirical. She would test things side by side. The same with Julia Child. Like they really were very good at testing their ideas and making sure that they work and finding better techniques, better ways to do something. So that book meant so much to me that when I was in San Francisco, I was scared to go eat in that restaurant because, you know, there are people who love to meet their idols. I'm not one of those people. I always feel that I have that very special image of that person. And if I meet them in real life, 
that I'll somehow be disappointed. And it just happened. So our flight came in early and we didn't have a reservation the first day. And I thought, well, you know what? Maybe it's meant to be. Let's just call Zuni Cafe. If they have a table, it was meant to be. We'll go have dinner there. Right. And they had a table. We went, we had dinner there with my husband and it was so good. It was like every dish was just perfect. Very simple. Ah. Her food is very simple, but perfect. Right. And so we ended up eating there three more times during our one week trip. We went for lunch. We went like every chance. Uh, we ate in many other restaurants too, but it was still out of the whole trip to San Francisco. And San Francisco has great food. Oh yeah. The food that stood out the most to me was Zuni Cafe. And one of the times I was there, I saw this woman in the kitchen because they have a somewhat open kitchen. Right. And I thought, is that really, is that Judy Rogers? And so uh, I asked the waitress and she says, oh yeah, she's still here all the time. Because I thought that it's such a legendary restaurant. I did not think she'd be there. You know, I thought that, you know, she's a famous chef now. Other people are cooking probably. And she was there and I got to meet her and say thank you to her for her amazing book. Oh my God. So um, that was one chef that influenced me a lot. Julia Child, of course, influenced me a lot. Uh, Kenji Lopez-Alt, he's been absolutely amazing. I think his work, what he's done when he was at Cook's Illustrated and at Serious Seats, oh, yeah, I think yeah. he changed how all of us cook. He would test like basic things like how do you, what's the best way to hard boil an egg? And what's the best way to cook a burger, a steak, pie dough? Um, it's basic home cooking, but really perfected. And um, I think his work is fantastic. And um, hmm, which other chefs? Oh, for baking, Rose Levy Berenbaum. That's probably. Oh yeah, she's great. Because she's so meticulous. Everything is written in grams or by weight and lots and lots of instructions are given on every step of the way that you feel like you're next to her doing those things. Yeah. I worked in a bookstore and people would come in saying, I need to get a book on cakes. And I'm like, well, I have the author for you. And I'd always recommend her yeah. work because it's, if you like to bake cakes, that's it. This is yeah, the oh, one. She's the one. I'm not a cake person. So um, I don't have her cake books, but her, uh, I'm a pastry and a bread person. So her uh, bread Bible and the pie and pastry Bible are outstanding. And, you know, the one last but not least person who I can't say that she influenced me, but that's only because I've had the same path as she did as Samin Nasrat. Like it was too late for Samin to change my life because I already worked in the restaurant. I knew all those things about salt, fat, acid, heat. But for anybody who has not, Samin would change your life. She's unbelievable um, at how well she communicates those really hard to understand concepts because salt, I can't give you a picture of what something should taste like, right? Right, right. You really have to taste it. And so Samin is just fantastic. Yeah, she's great. She's also got a good podcast on that I really like to listen to. Oh yeah, Home to. Cooking. Yeah, it's wonderful. Yeah. If anybody hasn't listened to that, I recommend that one wholeheartedly. Mm -hmm. Um, what is your biggest reward as a chef? What do you love about running a culinary school? Oh my gosh. I think it's that aha moment, you know, like watching somebody taste. And it's not like um, about, oh my gosh, this is a great dish. I love how you combine those two in 
ingredients. That doesn't do anything for me. Uh, because I mean, right now, we live in the age, at least before COVID, where we're exposed to so many fabulous, amazing ideas. You can go out to eat and see, oh yeah, somebody put cherries and apples in a kale salad, you know? Right, so, right. But to see them taste something that they might not have paid attention to when they're waiting in a restaurant or in their friend's house who is a great cook and they just thought, oh, everything that person touches turns to gold and my stuff sucks. And then you have them taste the salad, say, okay, taste it with three different levels of salt, okay? This, this, and this. And have their eyes light up and go, oh my gosh, that's it? That is the difference? It's not because your apples are more flavorful, your dressing is more, I'm like, no, I just used a different amount of salt, right? This is it. And then they go, so if I use more salt, my food can taste like this. Like, wow. There, uh, there's this one guy I had in a vegetables class who told me he ate in some Greek restaurant and they have this amazing salad, so good. And he asked them for a recipe and they said, well, what do you mean a recipe? Just look, see cucumbers, tomatoes, lettuce, lemon juice, olive oil, it's all here. And then he said, no, 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 I went home. I made it with all those ingredients. My salad did not taste like yourself. You have some secret ingredient. And so because it was a vegetables class, we were making some salad. And I said, oh, here, here's the secret ingredient. See, there's, we go. Here's salad. <laughs> and he said, oh my gosh, your salad tastes like that restaurant salad. <laughs> you know? And so um, I, to me, that makes my day. Like, or when it's something like um, a steak or chicken and people go, what do you mean this chicken only has chicken, salt, olive oil, that's it. They're like, but how can it be so good? You know, because we didn't overcook it. Like those little things that people don't expect the answer to be in. It's not simple. I would, I, I wish I could say, oh, because it's easy. It's not easy because you know, that chicken uh, doneness or salt, it's a continuum, right? And you are trying to find that one perfect spot. And that is not easy. It's simple, but not easy. <laughs> yeah, it's funny. I, I had that happen last week. I made some chicken and my kids were raving about it. And I didn't want to tell them because I was kind of I was kind of unhappily about it because I had just read some instructions and did it right. So I did the right amount of salt and I just cooked. I didn't overcook it. And so what they were saying was not only that it was good, it was that I had always made it badly before. <laughs> oh, gosh, we all make it badly before, you know, like the fact that you know now that's yeah. amazing like it doesn't i feel that sometimes you can't learn to do something right without first doing it wrong yeah i mean nobody starts by doing anything in their life right the first time they do right yeah i mean i i hope that's the case <laughs> <laughs> look at it this way Jin. see it can only get better right yeah yeah so that's the nice thing about it now fall is coming and summer is coming to a close and depending on where you live. I feel like where I live it's summer all the time. What foods in the farmer's market are you looking at right now for menus? Well, right now we're like in the summer mode, right? It's tomatoes and corn and all those wonderful summery things. But I think um, the kind of bridge from summer to fall it's all those cruciferous things. You know, they're great in the summer. They're also great in the fall, like Swiss chard and kale and Brussels sprouts and beets. Um, you can really make those feel more hearty 
or more summary and mushrooms. I love mushrooms. <laughs> so oh, yeah. um, I think as um, you know, the fall approaches, I think I'll probably just be doing more brazing and more hardy things right now. It's a lot of uh, salads and cold dishes. Even if I'm cooking the vegetable, I might serve it cold. It might be right. roasted vegetables, just tossed with lettuce for a cold salad. But in the this one dish, it's funny when you produce food content, you're almost always cooking both in season and out of season. Like right now, right. I'm testing a lot of my fall stuff. Right. Right. And um, there's this dish that I um, have kind of left over sitting from the spring when it was cold. And yeah. I have not made a video about it yet because now it's summer. Nobody wants a braised, like heartwarming cabbage dish. But right. Oh my gosh, I got this idea from Sola. Oh gosh, what's Sola's last name? You know, she is, a, she makes videos. She used to work for Serious Seeds. And now she, I think she makes videos for Food 52. Um, and she's, do you know who I'm talking about, Sola? No, I don't ah, think I do. Well, I have to look up her last name. But she always says, oh, it's Sola, you know, <laughs> like I'm Helen. Anyway, yeah. she is so fantastic. She had this one dish that was cabbage cut into huge wedges. And like not chopped up, but like big, like a sixth of a cabbage. And that she seared ah. until it was almost blackened. And then she made a nice little sauce with it and braised it in the oven. And oh my gosh, that dish comes out so good, but it's a great fall dish. Right now, if you have a cabbage, you should probably make a coleslaw. But in the right, fall, right. Um, there's so many, cabbage is such a versatile vegetable. It's like so umami rich that there are many things you can do with it. But what's cool about this one is that uh, you can totally make it vegetarian or vegan because the cabbage itself is like the star of the show. It's not a side dish. It's like those huge wedges and you could add some beans to it as you're braising it. Mm, um, and you can, of course, add meat. That's delicious too. Um, but it's a basic concept that then you can vary the sauce and do tomato sauce. Like I've done this one tomato cannellini bean sauce that was great. It had more of a um, Italian flair to it. And I did another one with porcini mushrooms, dry porcini mushrooms and the sour cream sauce, which felt a little more Eastern oh European. My God. And so you could definitely turn some braised pork shoulder into that. So um, many, many options. It's like one of those master recipes that you can probably produce 20 variations on. I'm getting so hungry hearing all this. Yes, I'm very excited <laughs> about that one. Yes, that's in the works for the fall. <laughs> well, I want to thank you for being on the show. I really love getting to talk to you. And I and I want to tell anybody who hasn't watched your videos, please run out and watch them now. They're, they're wonderful. And you'll love them as much as I do. Oh, thank you, Dean. It was such a pleasure to talk to you. Thank you for being with us to talk to Helen Rennie. She is the proprietor of Helen's Kitchen Cooking School and the YouTube channel and the blog. I really get a, enjoyed getting a chance to talk to her and I found her very insightful. If you get a chance, please do watch her YouTube video and maybe if you're in the area or get a chance to do it online, take her cooking classes, you won't be sorry. Please tune in on Friday to continue Chef Week. We're gonna have author Hannah Howard, who is the author of Feast and Plenty, 
Um, her books are wonderful. You may have seen them on the bestseller list or in reviews or in bookstores. Um, if you've not read them yet, I urge you strongly to do so. They're wonderful books, um, not just about food, but about life. Um, very well written. Um, please turn in to hear her talk. She's not only a wonderful writer, but she's a great conversationalist, and I had a great time talking to her. Until then, keep cooking. <laughs>